Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Mets fans, welcome to episode 206 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and well, here we are. The Mets season is over. The uh, heartbreaking wildcard game lost to the San Francisco Giants is about a week behind us now, and we're trying to move on with our lives, and uh, the podcast is here to help you do that. So first up, Chris McShane and I are going to talk about the game and um, I guess sort of what our, our rooting interests are for the rest of the playoffs. So take it away, Chris and Brian. Well, Chris, this is the first time we've spoken since the end of the 2016 Mets season, RIP 2016 Mets. Um, you know, it's uh, we're going to have a lot to say about this topic over the next, you know, four or five months. But for now, we're just going to talk about the game itself, the wildcard game, which happened last Wednesday night. Um yeah, it's hard to believe it was a week ago now. Yeah, we're, we're recording this a week after the game, and uh, it feels like a month, kind of, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really does. You know, especially when you you got so used to an extra month of a baseball season, and yeah. it, it only happened once. But you know, after uh, what fifteen years of not having that, I guess you know, two thousand six was almost an extra month, but yeah. Never, never quite the full thing, and just it happens one time, and now it's like, wait, what? Uh, what do you mean baseball is over? You know, he, I I thought of this, and this is a bit off topic here, but I thought of this the other day. Will the Mets get a flag at City Field for this? Uh yeah, I get, I, I think so. I honestly have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's the thing we talked about all year. By the way, everybody, I've I've given up on the 2016 season. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work out. Uh, but you know the thing we've talked about all year that the, it was there as the fallback. So there is, I should know this, but I'm I'm pretty sure there is a 
1999 wild card. There is, but thing, but this right? is but this is different because the Giants were the wild card team. Like that, like that was a play-in game to be the wild card team, kind of, right? It is, but officially, you know, officially that's part of the postseason. So yeah, I could see. You know, I guess you're not the wild card game champion, right? But you did earn a wild card. Um, if I had a guess, I would say they'll probably do it. Okay. Just because it's a way to commemorate, you know, uh, as, as cheap as it may seem, it's a way to commemorate a season that ended in a postseason. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with this. Was like, you know, it's. Um... The season was such a incredible roller coaster of emotion for the Mets. There was such great moments, such terrible moments that I kind of hope there is that flag there. Just whenever I'm at City Field in the future and I see that, it'll be a nice visual reminder of what a crazy year this was. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's fair. You know, I mean, I'm sure they'll get mocked for doing it if they do it, but um, I'm on board. I don't mind commemorating things you know even even if it seems relatively trivial um and not you know not to jump the gun too much on our agenda here but you know when the red sox and uh who who else lost the rangers when the red sox and the rangers both fell behind oh two um i hadn't gotten into watching any other baseball yet since wednesday and but i was checking scores you know of course and you know friday night late friday night i see both of those teams are down 0-2 and i'm like huh that feels really fast too oh yeah you know we're like it was at least somewhat comforting and i had nothing against either one of those teams but just somewhat comforting that hey these guys are about to be eliminated very quickly as well and then you know ultimately they were yeah a friend of mine referred to the mets loss as a mercy killing and uh, just like, just like you know, instead of dragging out the heartbreak over the course of three or four weeks, it's over in one game. And while I can understand that, it doesn't make it any better. No, I mean, I think there's something about like a missed opportunity. Um, you know, you, you get into the playoffs, and obviously the Giants didn't do well against the Cubs, and there's no guarantee that the Mets would have done better, but. Anything's possible in a series. Anything's possible over the course of a, of a playoff run. Uh, but even if that didn't ultimately mean getting through that game was going to result in a World Series title, given the circumstances, I was kind of excited for a Robert Gazelman postseason start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, At least I mean, there it, was hope there, you know. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, just genuine curiosity, uh, you know, since the other guys were all ruled out and not coming back to make those starts. It was somewhat exciting to me to get, you know, Hey, Gazelman, maybe Lugo, depending on how a series would have played out, might've made a start. Um, you know, I don't know that you can reach conclusions about players based on those, but it was just more opportunity to see guys who never really would have been in that spot if things went according to plan and right, to see, right. see what they could do. And I don't know, that we talked about playing with house money going into it. That to me was, was kind of it. Like, sure. Let's see if TJ Rivera, Robert Gazelman and Seth Lugo can be, you know, playoff heroes, even for a round, yeah. um, you know, just, just something. So I, I, I'm, I'm missing that. I think I'm, I don't know if it's still withdrawal that I'm in, but <laughs> Now let me let me harken back to the old days of Amazing Avenue Audio here. I was going through my Time Hop app today, and mm-hmm. I saw a bit of trivia from last postseason. I want to see if you uh, if you remember this. Who hit the first home run in City Field postseason history? Uh let's see. So that would have been Game Three of. Mm-hmm. The division series against the Dodgers. Yep. And the day after Chase Utley broke Ruben DeHada's leg. Yeah. Or the game after, not the day after. The game right, after. right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that was a thing that happened. We'll we'll, we'll get to Chase Utley <laughs> and our conflicted emotions, but 
Uh, the first home run. Did they fall behind in that game? I don't remember. Was it Adrian Gonzalez? No, the first, the first, sorry, the first Met, the first Met home run. I, I think he hit the first home run in general, but I know he was the first Met to hit a home run in the uh, in City Field. Um, well, I feel like the smart answer is Murphy, just because he hit so many. No, it's but, Travis Darno. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, just just random random trivia there. Um, yeah. Anything to not talk about the the loss? I guess I'm, just, I'm shooting for it. No, but let's talk about the game. You were, so you were at the game. Yes. What was the atmosphere like in City Field? It, it was pretty crazy. So I've had the, um, I've been fortunate enough to go to both of the two wild card era wild card games in New York City, and you know I, I sort of it stood out more at Yankee Stadium to me. Because I had been to playoff games at the new Yankee Stadium uh, over the years. You know, I mean, they've, they've obviously made it regularly. The Mets weren't always in it. StubHub prices felt very, very low for a bunch of those years. Uh, and I have immediate family that are Yankees fans. So I had been in the Yankee Stadium for other playoff games that felt relatively dead. Uh, the wild card game against the Astros last year was very... Really similar to the one the Mets played this year in really? terms of result. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you meant in terms of atmosphere. No, no, that well, that too. Re, the result, the atmosphere, the whole thing. Um, and I don't know, it, it, like, so in the Yankee Stadium context, which I know is probably not everybody's top priority here, <laughs> but it it stood out as like I'm like, whoa, like listen to this place. This, this is crazy. I I've been to a bunch of games here. It's usually just not a vibrant place to watch a game, but you throw this do or die in at the beginning of the playoffs. And, and you know, as the game progressed, it got quieter and quieter because, right. you know, the Astros scored those runs over the course of the game, not all at the end. But it was it was a noticeable electric atmosphere. And I bring all of that up because the, the way City Field – felt for the Mets wildcard game individually. It had more energy than any game I was at in the playoffs last year, which isn't like, I think about that and I'm like, that's insane. I went to, I went to the world series games fields. Right. And none of them felt as amped up as the wildcard game did this year. I mean, I guess it's just that, you know, yes, yes. When the Mets were eliminated in the World Series, that was a do or die game. But, but there was if the Mets won that game, they'd go on to play again. And there was this, there, there there's just this finality to the wild card game that you know like we're not used to that as baseball fans. You know, I I know you are a, you're a New York football Giants fan as well, so you're used to yes. one game <laughs> being a live live or die situation. I really don't give a shit about football, so every sport I follow, which is mainly just baseball and a little bit of hockey, is, you know, there's there's a long series in play here. So I'm not used to these one-game play-in type situations, and it really, it's nerve-wracking, man. And I think that's just that nervous energy comes out in everybody taking the smallest uh, accomplishment and cheering their heads off, because it feels just so much bigger. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And I've I've been um I I certainly am not one to believe in jinxes. So for anyone listening, I'm not going to I'm not going to listen if you tell me to stop going, but I've been there five times when this when the Mets season came to a heartbreaking end in uh-huh. person. Uh I was at the uh, Let me see if I can do this. So you were at the yeah. Wild Card game, you were at the World Series game. Were you at Game Seven in '06? Yep. Okay. Were you at the last game of the season in '07 and '08? Yep. Okay, that's five. Yep, those are <laughs> those are the five. Those are the five, man. They're varying degrees. Yeah. 2006, and I may be repeating myself from some time long ago on the podcast, but that to me was still the hardest one. Um, I mean, just we, we all know how heartbreaking that game was. But I remember walking down the ramps from the upper deck 
and there was a kid, you know, and I, I was, what, 20, if I can do basic math, I was 22 at the time. <laughs> um, and there was a kid who was probably like 13, maybe a little bit younger, but he was just like crying his face off and I couldn't look at him, you know, that, yeah. that to me, that was probably the toughest one to leave. But this wild card game was close. Yeah. You know, as good as Bum- Madison Bumgarner's postseason track record is, it just really felt like if they got through him, if they if they just got him out of the game. Yeah. You know, I mean, and we saw it. We saw what the Cubs did. There's no guarantee you were going to do it, but the Giants for the last several months couldn't hold the lead late. Right. So even if Bumgarner were out of the game in the bottom of the ninth and Familia had given up three runs, you know, everything played itself out the exact same way on the Mets pitching side, there at least would have been a chance. Yeah. You know, maybe not maybe not a high likelihood, but three runs against the, the Giants bullpen would have felt possible. But doable. Yeah. yeah. Much less intimidating than pretty much any other bullpen that you could have seen. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I was telling Chris before we started to record, I was at a uh, a press screening for a film I was reviewing, and so the first five innings of the game, I was I was in this press screening in a theater with no cell reception. So like every now and then, I get a buzz on my phone because you know like once once every thirty five minutes, I get a, a period of reception, and I kept checking and there was nothing. And I was half convinced that there was a score that my phone just wasn't showing me. And so as soon as it was done, I was with a friend of mine and we, you know, hauled ass to a bar and it was, you know, it was the the top of the sixth and there was no score and Syndergaard looked great and uh, I really believed there for a bit. I think oh, it yeah. was, uh, you know, yes, Bumgarner wound up going the complete game and all that. While they were both in the game, I don't think there was any question that Syndergaard was out pitching Bumgarner. And, you know, it was uh, just the, the the same old story for the Mets this year. Just they couldn't they couldn't get a couple hits strung together. And I, I hate saying that because that sounds so um, sounds so Joe Morgan of me, you know, that, you know, this that, you know, the reliance on the home run. I don't think the reliance on the home run really hurt him in the game, but just the, the inability to string together a bunch of hits. And, uh, you know, Bumgarner looked good, obviously, but he didn't look unhittable good no and when tj rivera let off the sixth yeah with the double i really thought that that was you know runner on second nobody out i thought that was a that was the moment i thought that was going to be the tipping point yeah um and yeah no bumgarner it's tough to to leave a game and have a guy throw a shutout and say like hey he didn't really look his best but he you know he didn't strike out that many guys, um, there was a decent amount of contact. You know, it wasn't, it, it, like you said, it wasn't the sort of dominance that Syndergaard was thrown out there. Um, and, you know, there were a couple, Granderson certainly with his great catch in center field helped yeah. bail Syndergaard out a little bit on probably the best hit ball against him that night. But, but yeah, I mean, it, you, you really can't say enough about what Syndergaard did himself. Yeah. The, I think the toughest thing over the last week for me was just that the even though the Giants went on to win the game, when Arietta hit the home run off Bumgarner, that was sort of my dream scenario for the wild card. Yeah, we game. talked about that. Yeah. Right. So it was just I was like, ah, and you never know how it would have played out, but and I and I'm not getting on Zindergard for not having done it. <laughs> Yeah. Just God know, just, damn him for not doing something incredibly magical. Right, right. <laughs> but but that was the dream. Like Syndergaard hits the home run and and sort of puts that dent into Bumgarner and then the Mets go on to win the game and you know, and, and continue the season. So Yeah. Um is there anything else you want to say about the Mets? I mean, I I think we have to once again applaud Addison Reed in the final game he pitched for the season, getting out of the jam in the eighth, and just yeah, what a what a season. Yeah, you, you will we'll we'll delve 
fully into the the 2016 season and, and the players who took part in it and the off season over the coming weeks. But one of my early off season thoughts, you know, my my simple off season plan is keep Cespedes here the end. But <laughs> could, that really would probably result in a competitive team next year. Yes, if, if that's all they do, but. We'll get more into that later, but one of the things coming out of the the very end of the season is that you know we know that they have control over Reed for one more year. Uh, I would love to see them do something. You know, I don't know if the track record is long enough that he could demand an Andrew Miller kind of contract, right? But something along those lines where you know you know he's he's going to get a raise next season no matter what. Maybe try to get him to agree to, you know, take a little bit less for that season, but guarantee another year or two beyond that. Yeah. Um, and, and just lock him up. You know, he's not, he's not that old and it just seems to have clicked. And in a year that, you know, there's been plenty of focus on, uh, you know, Daniel Murphy and Justin Turner Obviously, Turner's been gone for a while now, but you know, two guys for whom it clicked after they left, um, Cespedes and Reed are the guys who had that happen when they came to the Mets. Right. And, you know that that to me, it could all blow up, but you know, unless ownership is going to go back to sub one hundred million dollar payroll, if Addison Reed doesn't work out at eight or nine million a year for three years. Um, you know that that shouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. Um, you know, it's uh, it's also a nice insurance policy against uh, an injury or decline performance from Familia next year. Because I I know there are a lot of fans who won't agree with this, but I'd feel totally comfortable with Reed in the ninth inning if if need be. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you never. As I hit my microphone, you never, <laughs> <laughs> you never know what um, what could transpire. Uh, you know, I've seen very early reactions. I feel like it was like the day after they lost the game, or maybe two days after that. You know, I'm hearing from other Mets fans because uh, I'm not. I was tuned out. I was just not ready for any other baseball information. Um, but you know, hearing columnists and whoever suggesting, oh, they got to get Chapman or whatever, and, and that part of that's sort of a like a misguided familia criticism or paranoia. Yeah. But coming off the seasons that Reed and Familia had, I think you know it's it's not that crazy to imagine what the Yankees had for the first four months of the season, where one other elite relief pitcher gives the Mets a ridiculous bullpen. Yeah. Do they have control of Fernando Salas for another year? I don't think so. But that's why Cot's contracts exist. Yes. Not okay. not that I'm saying that Salas would be the third uh, cog in that in that fire throwing wheel. But just, right. just you know, thinking about the construction of the bullpen overall. Yeah. Yeah no it's uh and you know, we're at a point where a pitcher gets to work with Dan Warthin and we have to, I think, be a little more willing than we might otherwise be to buy into improvements. Yeah. Um, and that's fun. I mean, when's the last Mets coach on, you know, really in any role that you would think that about? You know, maybe, I, you could you could argue about things that Kevin Long has done that have been good for yeah. some hitters on the team and all that. Uh, but really over the course of my Mets fandom, I can't think of a hitting coach or pitching coach who Rick Peterson was supposed to be that guy. Right. Oh yeah. No, he, he certainly had the, the reputation, you know, the reputation to be able to say what he was going to do when they got pictures. <laughs> yep. Five minutes. Right. And not, you know, I'm not saying nobody was questioning it at the time, but to be able to just say that publicly 
for something that seems ridiculous. Um, but then obviously the results never lived up to that. Uh, but that was all a nice way of, of filling the time until we realized that Fernando Salas is a free agent. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, all right. Well, any other comments about being in the game in person? Do you want to share? Um, overall, I was, I was impressed with Mets fans that night. And I think, you know, last year was a full month. It's kind of like its own season when it goes that long, Mm -hmm. where by the end of it, people are feeling very strongly one way or another about things. Um, so maybe it's the just the product of the environment and the format of the playoffs, but that was as enthusiastic, loud, and positive as I've seen, you know, up until the point that some Mets fans booed Familia off the field, and that that was really really terrible. Um, but that was the only moment that I was like, "Ugh, come on, Mets fans." And during the World Series last year, I felt that way for like three games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, by the end of the game five, people were, they were getting, like getting on everybody. Yeah. Like everybody sucked. And it was just, you know, that, that it didn't feel that way during the wild card game. So if you boot, hell yeah, uh, I wasn't happy with you for that. But overall, I thought that was one of the best showings in terms of, uh, energy and team support and you know it's tough to maybe muster that up but i do hope the mets are playing postseason games again next year and i don't know that that gave me some sort of positive feeling um just that that environment of fans so that was pretty great that's good to know it's good to hear uh, so let's let's move on to our sort of our rooting interests in the playoffs here on out. Um, I've always been a guy that once the Mets are eliminated, I tend to root for an American League team, which seems backwards. I know I'm a National League guy, but I'm rooting for an American League team. I think I just every National League team I have, I have more bad memories of the Mets playing them. You know, so it's always yeah. easier for me to pick an American League team to root for. And then to uh, to kind of ride that out, but I will say this: part of me is rooting for the Cubs just so Chicago fans can shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. The whole like National League American American League loyalty thing mm-hmm. that that seems slightly outdated to me. Um, much in the way as a football Giants and Mets fan. You know, I often hear about like, oh, that's not, you know, what's that? That's not the normal combination. But it's, you know, it's not the 1960s anymore. Um, You know, and I maybe, if I'm misstating years on my football history here, I'm sorry. But, (laughs) but you know, the the Mets and Jets don't share a stadium. The Yankees and Giants don't share a stadium. Right. Um, You know, it's not. It's not difficult to consume whatever form of baseball you want. I've been an MLB TV subscriber for seven or eight years, you know, whatever it is now. Uh, interleague play happens every day of the season. You know, it's it's just not like teams are just teams to me at this point. And I'm with you. Like coming in as soon as when the Mets lost, I think walking out of the stadium, I said all of the American League teams <laughs> yeah. are my top choice. And then I, you know, I had my rankings for the National League teams uh, to follow, and and you know, so I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I still hope the American League team wins the World Series. Yeah. So what is what's your um? Let's go top three. Who would be your your top three in terms of enjoyment for having them win the World Series? And uh. Is uh, what's remaining now, or yes, coming? what's what's remaining now? So, as okay. of recording, um, we are down to the uh, Cleveland Indians, the Toronto Blue Jays, 
the Chicago Cubs, and then we don't know the result yet of the Nationals-Dodgers series. Right. So, straight up ranking, mm-hmm. I think I honestly think Toronto-Cleveland is a tie to me. Um, but, I, you know, I love R.A. Dickey. Yep. Tulewiski's pretty great. Yep. I wish their fans would stop throwing things on the damn field. <laughs> yeah. They like <clears throat> So I guess I I'll, I'll give slight preference to Toronto for the two players I just mentioned with the caveat that I hope they win it on the road. <laughs> so that that stadium full of people doesn't get to enjoy it in person. <laughs> Take that Toronto. Uh <laughs> I'm getting into hockey mode here. You know, my, my Rangers yeah. uh, will hopefully take advantage of playing the, the Maple Leafs this winter. But, but yeah, so, I mean, between those two, it's really a toss-up. Cleveland is sort of a similar story to the Mets in terms of the great rotation that they had for much of the year, the injuries. Uh, I've always been a Mike Napoli fan from afar you know the whole thing with mike Sosha never really giving him a fair chance in los angeles yeah or anaheim really before they got us all to call them los angeles um there's enough there cleveland would be you know even more of a team to root for if juan uribe were still around absolutely uh but but yeah, that that's a team that uh, you know it'd be cool to see win. Um, kind of just well constructed, exciting young players, old guys who who are still producing. Uh, so that's a nice balance. And then in the National League, uh, screw the Nationals. Of course. I hope you're listening to this either a few hours before or a few hours after their season has come to an end. Uh, <laughs> and then Dodgers Cubs. I don't know. It's t- I, it, I. They're both definitely a notch below the other the the two American League teams to me. Mm. Um. I think I slightly go Dodgers. Uh, just to I don't know. I hate the heavy favorite. So just to see the Cubs not win it all in a year that they were destined to win it all from everyone who made picks from the beginning and then up to the beginning of the playoffs again. Um, and then there's sort of the, the personal connection. Uh, I don't know Rich Hill myself, but, you know, his his nephew and my brother were on a baseball team together. And, you know, when my brother was like 10 years old, Rich Hill came by and did like a pitching workout clinic with, with them as kids. So, there, you know, there's this sort of, it would be cool to see him succeed. Yeah. And, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. On a, on a personal level that, and, and it, you know, even if I was just an independent fan of baseball who, who didn't have any link like that, uh, you know, guy who toiled around, in the minors for much of the last decade and then found legitimate success at the age of 35 and 36. Yeah. Um, you know, that sort of harkens back to my R.A. Dickey. <laughs> yep. Love. So, so yeah, I mean, there, there's cool things with, with any of those teams. So I guess officially I go Blue Jays, Indians, Dodgers, Cubs with slight, gaps in between and a very very large gap uh with the nationals below it yeah what, uh, my, about, what about you my rankings are very similar um i'm pulling for the blue jays one of my uh strongest baseball memories is my parents were out to dinner and my grandma was babysitting my grandma was not a sports person at all but she watched the uh joe carter walk off with me as a kid, oh, I was nice. like 11 maybe. And so I, I have a very fond memory of the Blue Jays winning a World Series. And, uh, you know, I just, I like the team. I love R.A. Dickey. You know, I would uh, I would like nothing more than for R.A. Dickey to win a World Series, especially because I feel like, you know, part of the deal when we traded him away was this idea that it was a win-win for both, for both sides. 
And so for him to get a, you know, we we got Thor out of it. If he gets a ring, that's pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, and my friend Jay is a huge Blue Jays fan. So for Jay, I'm rooting for the Blue Jays. Uh, then the Indians, because, uh, again, you know, I like a team that hasn't been to the World Series in a while and hasn't won a World Series in a while. It's always a nice a nice story, um, you know. And obviously they don't have the quite the, the years that the Cubs have on them. But they're a... The Indians are a team that, like you said, reminds me a lot of the Mets for for a bunch of reasons, and just a good story. I um, there's no one on that team I I really dislike. You know, there there aren't many players throughout the league that I that I openly dislike, but the the, the Indians have none of them, so you know, that they have that going for them as well. Um, then I'll say the Cubs just to shut Chicago fans up and just to say that you know, it's it's kind of cool to see all these all these long standing. Uh, droughts end, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. It, no, there, there was uh, as a neutral observer, there was definitely something cool about Boston finally ending. Yeah. Theirs. Um, and the White Sox ending theirs. But yeah, I, man, Cubs fans. Well, that's so, the thing. I was uh, talking about this with my brother. Like Cubs fans make me hate the Cubs. But if you look at the Cubs, like, isn't that a pretty perfectly constructed team? Like, Epstein came in and got the best manager he could and just put together a really smartly constructed team. And, uh, like, as a fan of baseball and a fan of process, I really like what the Cubs have done. But to have to hear Chicago fans talk about it just makes me not makes me want them to lose. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting – to, to look at the team, um, they've made a lot of good decisions, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, but they've also had a lot of sort of best case scenarios with guys. And yeah, it, it's funny as much as the young position players get a lot of love, you know, some of them haven't really blossomed into as great of hitters as I think is maybe the perception is. Mm-hmm. But you know, obviously Bryant Rizzo are the really potent parts of that lineup uh ben zobrist you know there was a significant a significant contingent of mets fans a year ago who thought ben zobrist was going to be grossly overpaid uh you know we know that the deal that he and the mets had discussed was very similar to the one with the cubs it may have been worth even a little bit more money uh you know he he went out and sort of he could be terrible for the next three years, but after the season he had this year, I think that's probably unlikely. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, John Lackey may not have matched his numbers from last year, but it's still, you know, this, this it's a guy who was always just okay to me, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know I, how he did this year. Yeah, I, I don't get it. But um, it's been a, it's, it's a nice blend of young players who have developed either into, you know, good major league starters or a little bit better than that. And then, you know, some veterans who have also produced. It's a very well-constructed team. And uh, I appreciate that. So I'll put them third. Then the Dodgers. If the Dodgers didn't have uh, two ex-Mets on their team, I would probably... uh, Maybe rank them a little bit higher. But uh, do, do I even have to mention their names? Hey, I mean, you might as well for the sake of being <laughs> complete, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned both of them earlier, actually, but Justin Turner and... Uh, well, Justin Turner is, is that former Met, and then Chase Utley is just the piece of shit that's on their team. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, I, I, I want to see him lose every game he plays for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah, when the, you know, when the... Spare parts of the aging Phillies started to scatter around the league. It was kind of tough to avoid all of them. Right, yeah. You know, Shane Victorino was a Red Sox for a little while. Um, yeah, Utley. So I, I just, I felt dirty. But the other night, he came through with a huge hit. Uh, and it, it made me happy. And Daniel Murphy had a great game and came through with huge hits and didn't make me happy. And it was just sort of a, I don't know. All of that was kind of a nice reminder of how quickly things can change in sports. Yeah. Um, you know, 
maybe that's a nice reminder of just how quickly things can change generally. Uh, you know, I think in sports it can be a little more accelerated, but yeah. The, the, <laughs> if you tell me a year ago that I might be annoyed by Daniel Murphy doing good things, I might say, oh, okay, yeah. You know, he's probably gone. The way that things were working out, that was pretty obvious that he wasn't going to be back with the Mets this year and him doing something annoying. Sure. Um, if you told me that Chase Utley <laughs> being the adversary for you know, and making me pleased, I would have never. I mean, screw that guy. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then there was five hundred levels of uh, garbage, and then the Nationals. In terms yeah. of my rankings. Um, oh yeah, no, no. I need we need full on natitude to be on display in Game Five. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's pretty clearly for me. I'm rooting for the Jays. I'm all in for the Jays right now. And uh, if they lose to the Indians, I'll probably be all in for the Indians. So yeah, yeah. That's fair. At, at this point, my wish is always that every series goes the distance. I want more baseball. So, you yeah. know, every... oh, last last winter was like truly spoiling in the sense that it was a full month shorter. Yeah, from a very like in a very direct way. You know, to get a Mets game all the way up until the very end of the season. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's um. We'll be back next week. Are we, are we going to do... We, this probably isn't an on-air conversation, but are we going to try and still keep weekly with the podcast? Oh, yeah. I, I, that is the plan. Okay. Uh, I think. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that plan. So, yeah, we'll be back next week with um, with the beginning of maybe uh, a, a 2016 year in review type discussion, and we'll probably check out on the playoffs again. And hopefully by the time you're hearing this, Chase Utley is... Uh, you know, running his shaking hands through his greasy hair, uh, putting his Dodger hat in his uh, locker for the last time this year. <laughs> God, I hate that guy. Hi, this is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and... I'm recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm ready to go to my parents' place for the last meal before Yom Kippur starts. So I just wanted to get some Mets off-season thoughts in there before I go off the grid for a day. And, well, the Mets probably won't make any big moves between now and then because the postseason's still going on, but maybe... Tim Tebow has a big day in the Arizona Fall League or something like that. But most likely, it's just going to be mostly speculation about what the Mets have to do to get back into the postseason in 2016-2017 after 2016 ended after just one game of exciting postseason baseball. The big topic is Yoenis Cespedes. He's expected to opt out out of the three-year deal, opt out of the three-year deal that he signed with the Mets last winter. And while he could still re-sign with the Mets, his price might be even higher than it was last year because all Cespedes did, while he didn't have that amazing stretch in August like he did last year, he was he, he was much more consistent than he was. And it looks like he's a more valuable player. He almost doubled his walk rate. He still hit a bunch of home runs. So it looks like Yoenis Cespedes is going to be a really valuable piece on the market. And while the Mets might be wise to just ante up and have him rejoin the team, there are also other concerns. We also don't know how much the Mets are willing to spend. So we're going to play this whole game again and hope that the Mets can get him for what was really a discount last year at three years. Uh, It's going to be even harder this time because of how well he played. And the problem is that he still can't play center field. He opted out of doing that during the season this year because, in part because of the injury to his leg that he suffered. 
even while playing left field, he didn't look too good running around out there. So even if he's fully healed, will he be a good center fielder? His defensive rating per Fangraphs is way down this year, even while playing mostly left field. So if the Mets bring back Cespedes, they're going to do that whole thing where they, have, where they shuffle guys around. Maybe Curtis Granderson stays in center after the amazing catch he made against the Giants in the wild card game. But there are issues with the Mets, even if they do decide to bring Cespedes back. They also need to allocate funds to their infield. Neil Walker is really the only palatable option in the second base free agency class. The Mets did trade away Dilson Herrera for Jay Bruce, so it looks like Walker is the way to go. And for that, they're probably going to need to pay him. I know that we talked about... Not me personally, but Chris and Brian talked about what Neil Walker would cost on one of the previous podcasts, and I kind of agreed with them that if you wanted to get him for three years, it would cost somewhere between $15 and $20 million per year, and he's probably going to get that kind of money considering the type of power he showed and how valuable he was to the Mets while he was a healthy member of the team this year. So, one other thing the Mets could do, they could move Asdrubal Cabrera, who's locked in thanks to the two-year deal he signed last winter. They could move him to second base, put Jose Reyes at shortstop, maybe bring in someone like Justin Turner, although I don't see him as being that much cheaper than Neil Walker on the open market, although... It would be nice to see the rejuvenated Justin Turner back in New York and hopefully hitting like he has done in Los Angeles for the last couple of seasons. And then there would always be the fear that he would just revert to the pumpkin he was when he was with the Mets uh, before he took off and became a really productive player for the Dodgers. So we don't know. It would be awesome if the Mets could bring back Cespedes and Walker and maybe even someone like Turner, although probably a lesser version of him, to back up the infield. Ruben Tejada is indeed available. However, we don't know if they're going to be willing to spend that much. There are also arbitration costs to be factored in. We're hoping they don't bring back James Loney and just give the first base job to Lucas Duda. But again, all that is still up in the air. If the Mets do bring back Cespedes, they almost certainly will buy out Jay Bruce. He's owed $13 million next year if the Mets do decide to bring him back. So there are a lot of moving pieces, and it's going to be a really exciting offseason because the Mets do have a limited window with their pitchers' costs continuing to rise, although not at the rate we previously anticipated because of the injuries factored in. They are still working in a window situation. They still want to get as much postseason excitement in this window as possible. And to do that, they might need to break the bank when it comes to Cespedes, Walker, maybe another piece. If the rotation's healthy, they shouldn't need to spend much there. Hopefully just bring back Bartolo Colon and cross your fingers on everyone else. Certainly with the way Lugo and Gazelman pitched down the stretch, you have another you have some affordable backup options there. So the Mets look to be in good shape as far as pitching is concerned. But the offense, there is going to be some work to do. There are going to be big decisions to be made. So there's a lot for Mets fans to look forward to, even though the postseason is not including the orange and blue this year. And with that, I will sign off for now. This has been Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio. Welcome back, Mets fans. Greg Karam here, along with Steve Saipa, to once again talk about the Mets minor league system. And we're going to keep it topical. Uh, the Mets recently wrapped up their instructional league. And we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the Arizona Fall League. And just kind of describe what's going on there. And uh, So Steve, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us what's the instructional league and, and what goes on down there. Sure. Well, basically, it's one of the last times that a lot of these players kind of get extended one-on-one instruction on, you know, whatever it, all, whatever it is that they need uh, help with. Um, most of these guys are from, you know, Kingsport, Brooklyn, Columbia. So they're still at a point in their careers where it's, you know, short season. 
Um, they're still kind of, you know, a lot of them are still kind of raw, either coming out of college or it's the first year with the organization, whatever. So it's really kind of putting a bow on top of their rawness and, you know, prepping them for full season ball up in, you know, St. Lucie or Columbia or wherever it is. It's kind of odd to me almost that they actually have a league for this and that these guys aren't with the team kind of year round. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I mean, they're, it's a job. They get paid to do it. You know, it's like, I feel like, yeah. Uh, though I guess I guess with the unions and sports and stuff like that, they kind of negotiate that kind of thing. I guess that kind of answered my own question there. I mean, it, it would definitely be in the best interest of the club itself to constantly be on top of these guys, constantly whatever, you know, either helping them or observing them, whatever it is that they might need. But yeah. it also costs money, I guess, and like you said, the union stuff. So Yeah. And I guess, I mean, pitchers especially, I guess – like they need some time to just rest their arms. I don't really know what pitchers do in the off season, like during that time when they're not there. Like I would just kind of sit around with my arm in like an ice bath just every day and just yeah. hope it recovers. Uh, I don't know. It's just it. It's it seems like they you have a limited number of bullets, and you know that's why it's like when you're practicing. It's like just be careful. Don't don't <laughs> don't tear your elbow up. <laughs> Um, but like for position players, um, I feel like it would be useful to have that extra instruction year round. But anyway, so there's a lot of prospects down there or were a lot of prospects down there. Some, some big names, Justin Dunn, uh, Chris Flexen, Mirandy Gonzalez, just going down the list here. Um, you know, Ali Sanchez, Pete Alonzo, Louis Carpio, you know, a bunch of guys, uh, Zapucky. So, if you had to choose a guy down there that you want to work on something, you know, in order to get better for next year, who's your guy? Um, I'm gonna go with Pete Alonso. I think that he's he's a guy that has legit, legit, legit power. Like I wouldn't say he has like grade 80 power necessarily, but he has he has some pop in his bat, and he hit well in Brooklyn. You know, he hit well in college. He hit well in Brooklyn. He hit. Uh, he hit over 300 he hit 320 but his swing is it's it's not a college swing necessarily but he definitely um it it has some flaws that you know once he starts facing pitches with better velocity and better breaking balls are going to be able to exploit more really more specifically he starts like as he opens his hips like really early and starts his bottom half way earlier than his top half so with guys that have you know kind of less refined breaking balls and non-premium velocity, he can get away with that and you know either foul pitches off or still kind of muscle um, the ball. But against guys that are you know going to be more advanced, which he's going to start facing now, you know stuff like that, it's not always going to translate into you know foul balls or, or whatever else. You know those some a lot of those things going to start translating into outs. <laughs> And if he's able to kind of keep the batting average up, you know, I don't think that he's going to be a 300 hitter going down as he develops more. But, I mean, if he can be a decent hitter coupled with that power, you know, that might be the best first baseman in this system. Dom Smith not included, maybe even Dom Smith included, oh. if he's able to if he's able to become a, a halfway decent hitter, you know? Where would you start him next year? Um... I guess I would start him in, in Colombia. Yeah. I don't think that he was advanced enough that you could completely jump over Colombia. But he might be a guy. He's a guy that I would definitely promote midway through the season if he's if he's having a halfway decent year. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's probably what they're going to do. At least that's what their history yeah. dictates that they're going to do. Um, I guess for me, a guy that I'm um, excited about is, is Justin Dunn, who... Um, he's a guy that they just drafted this past year. You know, he's got good velocity, um, but he's a guy who kind of has a slurvy-ish type of breaking ball pitch. And, you know, I think that the pitching, um, the tutelage for him is going to be important and what the, the organization could do for him in order to, like, kind of define those pitches for him and just kind of sharpen everything. And, and they've done a good job in the past with these guys with premium velocity and, 
you know, at least the, the knowledge of how to throw a bit of a, uh, an off-speed pitch. Um, so I, I would like to see them, you know, just kind of refine everything and kind of just shape him into um, you know, the next premium pitching prospect uh, that, you know, continues the pipeline. Um, and I think that he, again, you know, another guy who's probably, I think, going to start in Columbia and, uh, you know, hopefully finish the season in St. Lucie and then, you know, kind of just keep that pipeline going. Yep, yep. I could say Zapucky and, and, you know, add a slider, but um, I don't think that there's the urgency in that. I feel it seems like they can just <laughs> pop up uh, once they get added to the 40-man and, and, you know, get on the major league uh, either spring training or on the roster and just Worthen will just, you know, sprinkle his magic dust on it. And it's just, it's just there. It's just there. You can just kind of assume it at this point. So here you go. 70 grade slider. Yeah, there you go. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's that simple. So that's the instructional league and starting, well, we're recording on Tuesday and starting today, uh, is, was the Arizona fall league. And this is a league where the team will kind of send guys who, are kind of on the precipice, but also guys who are in need of additional reps. Uh, so you'll see guys who went through injuries uh, this year. Marcos Molina is, he comes to mind, and you know, Tim Tebow. Uh, who? Who's that? <laughs> and uh, you know, other guys like Gavin Cicchini, who are going to be who's going to be learning. Well, not. He's going to be learning a new position, I guess. He's been starting to be, make that transition to second base, which we've seen coming for quite some time now. Uh, so the guy, uh, the Mets sent a bunch of guys there. They sent uh, Corey Oswalt, Dave Roseboom, Corey Taylor, Matt Oberste, Champ Stewart, Gavin Cicchini, Thomas Nido, uh, or Nito. I don't know how to pronounce that yet. Tim Tebow. And Marcos Molina. So, among those guys, who excites you? Um, of the bunch of them, Molina obviously is exciting. Um, Taylor, mm, not so much. Uh, Corey Oswalt, not so much. Roseboom, a little bit. Nido, yes. Caccini, uh, mostly. Oberstein, no. And Champ. Not really, and Tebow, mm, not really. Yeah, I'll say of the guys who are not really the premium prospects there, I think that Corey Oswald's kind of interesting. Um, apparently tops out at 93, and, well, at least I'm, I'm pulling that from, from baseball prospectus, so I haven't actually had eyes on him myself. Um, Roseboom's not really that interesting. And I like Matt Oberste a little bit. I, he's, I think he's got a nice approach at the plate. He's, he's got a good eye there. Uh, he needs to just kind of put it all together because the the positional profile is not great. He's limited to a corner and probably first base. So I'm not sure how much that's going to come together. But I, it could be interesting. Um, the guy who has the most, who's playing for the most right now, I think is Marcos Molina because yeah, definitely. he's the guy who needs, he's 40, uh, he's rule five eligibles and he's mm-hmm. not on the 40. So the Mets need to add him, uh, if they want to protect him. And, you know, he's a guy who show flash some promise, but injury, Tommy John didn't really pitch that much last year. So, you know, I, I think we can talk about this on, I mean, we're going to have time to talk about the Rule 5 draft and all that, but like, do you think Marcos Molina is going to be added to the 40, or do you think it all depends on how he looks in the AFL? I think they'll add him, because even if he looks terrible in the AFL, first of all, it's going to be a small sample. I mean, he's still starting, so he's going to get into you know maybe a handful of games at most, and that's really still not that much of a, a sample to evaluate a pitcher coming back off of you know major injury like Tommy John. And also, again, even if he looks terrible, the potential was there, you know, a, a year and a half ago. We saw, you know, mid-90s fastball and that, that breaking ball, and that was so good and everything. So I think you need more time to evaluate if he'll be able to return to that or, you know, even uh, a shade of that. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's always tough for me because I I feel like 
it's really hard for a guy to stay on the 25-man roster for a full season. You know, it's just like I, I, I'm trying to think of of Molinas doing that is tough. But then he would have to pass through waivers. So maybe you add him. I don't. I don't think they're going to have much of a crunch. Uh, I think there's going to be plenty of spaces once they clear everything out. Um, the next guy who's exciting is Gavin Cicchini, uh who you know, did, did did pretty well at a few at bats in, in the major leagues. I'm not going to draw any conclusions from that, but he's. It was inevitable that he was going to move to second base. I think he'll be okay there. Uh, I I still think I don't think he's going to be plus there. He still has hand, issues with his hands and. It's not a great defensive profile, um, but he does make a ton of contact, and you know we've seen that with uh, like a TJ Rivera. You know that that can play <laughs> as long as if you can make contact, that can play. So and if he can add some power, uh, it could be it could be a decent player. Uh, I'm not sure it's a regular, but like he could he could be on my bench. What about you? Oh yeah, yeah. I th- I think I I also. Th- figured at least um at, when when we were looking at the rosters and everything that they'd kind of be using the time the extra reps to kind of get him more uh acclimated to second base you know he's been always been a shortstop but you know they played today and sure enough gavin caccini second uh shortstop so oh, really yeah he went two <laughs> for three though so good okay. for him all right well we'll sure. have to see if that keeps up it might just be you know i don't know I'm I I'm at the point where I'm I'm happy to have him as as major league roster depth going into next year. Hopefully we don't need him uh as as the starting everyday second baseman. Well, if he's starting nothing against him, but if he's starting second base then something terrible happens. That's that's my point. Yeah. yeah. So the last guy to talk about is Thomas Nido, Nido, whatever. He's a catcher, spent most of the year in, in uh, high A. Did pretty well there, uh, actually very well there, and finally got a report uh, out of Baseball Prospectus on him. I don't want to read the whole report, but basically they're saying that they think he's going to be a major league regular, which is a pretty good profile to, to slap on this guy. Um, you know, we we don't really we haven't gotten to see him ourselves yet because he's in the black hole of Fort, you know Port St. Lucie. Next year, I'm sure he's going to be in. Binghamton, so we'll be able to get some more eyes on there. Uh, I'm excited about him. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think he's legit. I mean, he's, you know, catchers are always late bloomers, that kind of thing. He's not, you know, he's still young for a catcher, but, you know, uh, it was really just this season and he started to bloom, so let's keep it going. His tools are kind of there. You know, he's supposedly, you know, he's always had that raw power, you know, it and just the hitting tool kind of manifested itself this year. And he's supposed to be a good, you know, catcher. He throws out a lot of guys. He's has a good rapport with the pitchers that you know he's with. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. And and with the the way that the things have played out with the you know, Darno and Ploiecki, I'm, I'm, I'll take all the catching depth I can get. At this yeah. <laughs> so we'll have more on him. You know, once we he's he's going to be an exciting prospect. Uh, we'll probably get more into him during list season. But there you have it. Uh, that's the instructional league and the Arizona Fall League, and you know that's 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 it. That's all the time we have for this week, and we'll be back again next week uh, in the same spot. Mets fans, that does it for this truncated version of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, we will be back next week and most weeks throughout the off season with a look back at the 2016 season. We're going to go position by position. We're going to look ahead to next season, talk about free agency, and hopefully have some more fun stuff going on along the way. So, until then, please go to AmazingAvenue.com and check out all the off-season content that we have going up. Also be on the lookout right after the World Series for our AAOP, Amazing Avenue Offseason Plan Contest, which is always a ton of fun. And, uh, you know, all the Mets 
information that you need to get through this long off season, you can find at AmazingAvenue.com. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. That's the third one, at Amazing Avenue. You can also download the show directly from BlogTalkRadio.com, rate, review, or subscribe at iTunes, or find the show on the Stitcher app. Uh, you can also follow our contributors this week on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Aaron is at APY5000. Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. And Greg Karam is at Greg Karam. So um, for me personally, I'm going to end the podcast by saying, let's go Jays. Let's go Jays.